0: Isaiah 35, a wonderful prophecy that uh, pictures the coming of the salvation blessings of God's kingdom. And as we see in our passage in Matthew, uh, Jesus Christ fulfilling many of these things and doing many of these things that uh, we see and uh, causing life to come forth where there is death and barrenness and sin and condemnation. So give your attention to the reading of God's holy word, Isaiah chapter 35. This is God's holy word, inerrant and infallible. He gives it to his people for our good. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beasts come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. As far as the reading of God's holy word, go to the Gospel of Matthew for our sermon text this morning. Matthew chapter nine. Matthew nine, beginning in verse eighteen through to verse thirty four. Matthew nine, verse eighteen through to verse thirty four, once again, God's holy word. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, "'Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well.' And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, "'Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping.' And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his, f- his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us bow for prayer once more. Great God, we come humbly before your word, unable in and of ourselves to understand its truth. We ask that you would grant your Holy Spirit that we might be taught, shaped, formed, made into all that you would have for us, that we might be not only testaments to your glory, but living stones in your church on earth uh, who live for you, taking up our cross and following Jesus only by your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there has never been anyone like Jesus. Never has been anyone like him and there never will be anyone like him again. Historian Tom Holland uh, traces this theme in a recent book, and he writes this at the beginning. He says, To live in a Western country is to live in a society still utterly saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions. He says, 2,000 years on from the birth of Christ, it does not require a belief that he rose from the dead to be stamped by the formidable, indeed the inescapable influence of Christianity something uh, to think about, and, and certainly we would see the merits in what uh, he is saying, but that can be a huge problem, can it? For there is no greater tragedy than to live under the influence of Christianity and to never know Christ. Matthew constantly puts Jesus in front of his hearers, his listeners, in order to avoid just that, that we would not come into contact with Christ and not know him, that we would not see him and reject him, but that we would embrace all that he is for the sinner. And so this section ends in Matthew 9 with a flurry of miracles to show us the faith that saves and the saving that Jesus does. And so our theme that we'll be thinking about this morning, our life-transforming reality is this, come to Jesus with the faith that saves and learn of the healing which Jesus gives. Come to him in the faith that saves and learn of the healing which Jesus gives. So first come to him in the faith that saves. We see in this passage characteristics of the faith of those who come to Jesus. What does it look like to come to him Well, the first thing that we see is humility. We see the theme of humility in uh, different characters in this account. The ruler of the synagogue, we know that he's a ruler of the synagogue as we see in the Gospel of Mark. He comes and he kneels down before Jesus. This is not necessarily worship, but it's reverence for Jesus. It's deference to him. And this comes from someone who is part of the religious class, those that we will see Uh, grow in opposition to Jesus as the Gospel of of Matthew goes on. But it is encouraging for us to at least note that there were those among the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the rulers of the synagogues who believed in Jesus. We see humility in the woman with the hemorrhage, the the bleeding problem. This is likely uh, bleeding from the womb. She comes to Jesus almost stealthily, Comes to him trying to touch him from behind, trying to hide herself almost, we sense, to conceal her uncleanness. This is someone who would not normally congregate in in crowds in public. Indeed, her very existence is one of humility, isn't it? Her life is kind of a constant reminder of her need to be humble and to stay humbled. It would be a humbling experience in its own way, to be out in the midst of people as someone like her who was unclean according to Levitical laws. It's almost as if she constantly carries shame. The two blind men that Jesus heals in this passage cry out for mercy. Have mercy on us, Son of David. What is a cry for mercy if not an acknowledgement that what you hold is not adequate, that you need something from someone else, you need help? So we learn in this section of of this chapter that sinners must come to Christ in humility. Richard Sibbs, a great Puritan theologian and pastor, says spiritual emptiness prepares us for spiritual fullness. How can we be full spiritually? How will our hearts be full with all that God's grace gives? We must first be empty. Those are the ones whom Jesus fills. We see humility, but then we see confidence. And it's interesting to think about these things uh, dwelling side by side. It's not uh, two things that we would think of existing together. But it, it, it's, it's what you're confident in and in whom your confidence is. You're confident in the Savior, if you're a sinner who comes to the Lord. So we see, we see confidence in Jesus, and we see that, of course, in, in the Ruler, He says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. That's a stunning measure of faith, isn't it? Yes, my daughter is dead, but touch her and she will live. The ruler was confident in Jesus. Uh, The woman with uh, the bleeding issue, the same thing. What does she say to herself? She says, if I only touch his garment... I will be made well. If I can just grasp on to to what he's wearing, I will be healed. Matthew Henry uh, says this, This woman's disease was of such a nature that her modesty would not allow her to speak openly to Christ for a cure, as others did. But by a peculiar impulse of the spirit of faith, she believed him to have such an overflowing fullness of healing virtue that the very touch of his garment would be her cure. She sees in Jesus the fountain of life, the fountain of healing. She is nothing if not confident in Christ. The blind men whom Jesus heals, we, we read of their confidence as well. In verse 28, it's interesting, they cry out to Jesus seemingly while, while he's on the way. Then he enters the house and they come to him in the house where they have this exchange where their confidence in Christ becomes explicit. And it's almost as if Jesus asks the question so as to make that clear. In whom are you trusting? Because he says, do you believe that I am able to do this? Not God through me, do you believe that I am able to heal you, to give you sight? And what do they say? Yes, Lord, we are confident that you can. They're confident. Sinners come to Christ knowing that in him they will find all that they need. The Belgic confession that says, in Jesus we find a perfect Savior, a complete Savior. Thus, Sinners who confidently come to him will never leave to go find something else. When you arrive at Jesus from a trusting and a believing heart, you have arrived at all that your soul will need for the rest of your earthly life. So we must have the confidence with those whom we see in this chapter to say, I have found all that I need. Psalm 45, verse 2 says, You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. The heart that trusts Jesus Christ is satisfied in him. And one of the things that uh, you find written about, talked about, in uh, many parts of uh, the history of the church's writings is the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be satisfied in Christ is to see that his beauty exceeds all else. That's why we read Psalm 45. You are the most handsome of the sons of men, he is beautiful, he is glorious. Hebrews 7 says, It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The beauty and the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ will always exceed our ability to express it. It goes beyond all that we think or could think. But we see this picture of sinners coming to Jesus in both humility as they think upon themselves and confidence as they see the Savior. We also see that Jesus saves these people through faith. That's another theme that comes up again and again throughout this flurry of miracles. The ruler has a faith that almost reminds us of the centurion. It's not the exact same in degree, which is a good reminder to us that we are not saved by a certain degree of faith. A, a, A small faith, perhaps a weak faith, can still grasp a perfect and a strong Savior. But we see his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman whom Jesus heals, what does Jesus say to her? Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well in the account with the two blind men. We read, when Jesus entered the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. One uh, pastor writes of the, the woman's healing, it is clear that from Matthew's perspective, it was Jesus who made the woman whole again, but it was her faith, exemplified in her desire to touch Jesus' garment, that appropriated the healing power of Jesus. This is the gospel. It is Jesus who saves. It is Christ who gives salvation, but it is faith which receives it. Jesus saves... Faith appropriates and receives the blessings of salvation. So in, this, in these stories, what we're finding are, are pictures of how we come to Jesus Christ. We come in humility and we come in confidence in Jesus. John Newton says, This is faith, renouncing everything we want to call our own and relying wholly upon the blood, righteousness, and intercession of Jesus. Humble as it regards all that I find within myself, throwing it away, renouncing it, and embracing all that Jesus is for me. Righteousness, holiness, sanctification, and salvation. By faith in Jesus Christ, we grasp onto his saving benefits, his forgiveness, and his righteousness. The woman... You read, she grabs the fringes of Jesus' garment. That would actually be tassels. If you go, you can go and and study the kinds of things that Jewish men were supposed to wear. And they would have these these tassels uh, on the corners of their garments. And what they were, were symbols of the obedient life of a Jewish person. It would be a symbol of someone who, who keeps the law. And what is Jesus for the sinner? Jesus for the sinner is a perfect a, and a perfectly lived, righteous life. The woman who is coming to Jesus for healing reaches out in faith and grasp, grasps a symbol of Jesus' righteousness, and that is just what we do when we come to Jesus in humility and confidence. We, we are, with our hands of faith, grasping onto all that he did for us in winning satisfaction of God's justice, in being a perfect substitute for us for sin, in living a perfectly righteous life because it's not just that the the slate is wiped clean and then we then have to prove our righteousness. Jesus cleanses our sin and grants to us his own righteousness. So we find a picture of what it means to come to the one who saves. For it is the righteousness of another with which we approach God. We see the the faith that saves and then we also see the saving that Jesus does. One of the things that we find in the Gospel of Matthew is a minimizing of the kind of oblique details of all of the stories. Matthew tends to shorten the accounts that we see in the Gospel of Luke and in Mark. He tends to take out details in order for us to focus more on on Jesus himself why does Matthew do this well just for that to put the focus upon Jesus Christ and he puts many wondrous things on display about the Savior in this flurry of miracles what what is one of the first things that we see Jesus is the one who conquers our uncleanness Jesus is the one who conquers whatever expels us from God's presence, whatever keeps us from God's presence. Jesus is the one who overcomes that. We see this in the account with the ruler and his daughter. Corpses were unclean and it was for that reason that priests could not come into contact with dead bodies and anyone who would come into contact with the corpse was then ritually unclean. We see this with the woman. A woman with this type of bleeding, again likely from the womb, was unclean. It's described in in Leviticus chapter 15. And this woman, because of her issue, would have been perpetually unclean. You can read about it in Leviticus 15. The blind men. Blind men were not unclean, but if there was any, ever anyone from the tribe of Levi who may have been a priest who was blind, he would have not been allowed to be a priest. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 21. And so in all of these accounts, Jesus overcomes that which creates distance between God and the person. He overcomes it. He cleanses people from their uncleanness. He heals them of that which separates them from God. One writer says this, what cut this woman off from approaching the courts of the Lord, because keep in mind then, because of her ritual uncleanness, she is then separated from the worship of God's people in that day. She would not have been able to regularly worship with God's people, in addition to many other things. really, She would have been cut off from normal life in many ways. But he says this, what cut her off from approaching the courts of the Lord does not cut her off from approaching Christ. What keeps her from worshiping with God's people does not keep her from Jesus. It's an amazing thing to think about. You may come to Christ in the worst kind of uncleanness and to the humble and the contrites he will cleanse. It's here that we see the compassion of Christ too, the tenderness of Jesus who touches this young girl's body to raise her to life, who allows the woman to touch him, who touches the eyes of the blind. We need to be reminded that we do not make Jesus unclean though we come in our uncleanness. He makes us clean. So come to him. Come to Jesus in humility and confidence. That is what the heart of the believer does. It comes to Jesus, and it always comes to Jesus. We come to Jesus each and every day, and we find in him all that we need. We find his cleansing, that he overcomes that which separates us from God. We find his tenderness and his compassion and his love for us, his grace and forgiveness and mercy and blessing. Jesus says in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John Bunyan has an entire book on this verse. And you could have a list of excuses why you wouldn't come to Jesus, and people come up with these excuses. They'll say, as Bunyan says, but I am a great sinner, you say. Jesus says I will never cast out. But I am an old sinner, you say. Jesus says I will never cast out. I'm a hard-hearted sinner. Jesus says, I will never cast out. I'm a backsliding sinner. I have served Satan. I have sinned against light. I have sinned against knowledge. I have sinned against mercy. I have sinned again and again and again. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus is the one who conquers our uncleanness. He's also the one with power over all creation. This is a a list of ten miracles in chapters 8 and 9 after the Sermon on the Mount, and they show the power of Christ over the sicknesses of, the life, uh, of this life and the world. Jesus can heal the wounded. He can reverse the afflictions of the fall and the curse of sin. Uh, he can even give life to the, to the dead. What's it saying to us? It's saying to us, That because of the power and the authority of Christ, those who take refuge in him have their entire outlook on life transformed and changed. It reminds me a little bit of the the funeral of Lazarus when Jesus is almost offended by the mourners. You see the same kind of thing happened here. He tells the mourners to go away. Why? Because what they were doing is inappropriate in light of who Jesus is and what he's about to do. Go away. Go away. What you are doing is no longer needed because of me. You see, death for Jesus is not the final word, and we know this, don't we? But we have an opportunity to focus on it for a few moments this morning to our good. Jesus' miracle not only brings a corpse to life, but it brings hope to despair, Jesus says that this girl is asleep, and they laugh at him, which is a a confirmation of her being dead. They knew what a dead person was. Jesus says she's sleeping. And that changes, uh, you see, even uh, later on in the New Testament, they use that very term to describe those who are dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have died in the Lord. See, death is a real thing and we still need to cross over Jordan and that is what is left to us and we need to do so in faith and in courage. But for those who die in Christ, they are asleep. For death is not the final word and Jesus brings hope to despair. So Christ brings us to God. He will not cast us out. He conquers death. He gives us new life. He orients us to the age to come. Because of the way that he transforms all that we know about this life and this world, our very lives are changed. Not only is resurrection an objective reality, but the life of Jesus Christ lives within us through the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we have this hope that is given to us. Because Jesus has conquered death, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. And because uh, the power of Jesus lives in us, the resurrection power by the Holy Spirit, we abound in hope and we abound in the blessings of the new life. Jesus heals at the end of our passage a man who is mute and demon-possessed. And the response of the people is perhaps because of the the all-encompassing scope of Jesus' healing power. He casts out the demon. He restores the man's ability to, to talk, to speak. The people see in Jesus such a perfection of person that he is unlike anything seen before. He's not just a prophet. We saw prophets raise the dead, Elijah and Elisha in First and Second Kings. The blind men call him the son of David, which is the first time this title is used in Matthew, and declaring him to be the Messiah, the one who brings about the blessings of salvation of the kingdom of God. They say never was anything like this seen in Israel. Never before had someone done so much, said so much, claimed so much for himself. But the end of the passage reminds us that it is only with those with the eyes to see that have these blessings of Christ. The Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So there we have the warning. Don't live in proximity to Christ and not come to him. Don't live under the influence of Christianity and fail to come to Jesus. And fail to grasp onto the tassels of his righteousness. Do not fail to reach out with faith and grasp onto all that he gives to you. Do not fail to be the one who says, Jesus, if you merely touch me, I will be made well. Rest assured, brothers and sisters, there is no one like Jesus. Never has been and never will be. These stories of salvation and healing point beyond themselves to what Jesus truly gives us, the healing of salvation. One, one writer says this, The church is saved not primarily from the experience of limited ills here and now, but from the deadliest enemy of all, the curse of sin. Never will there be the words, the works, and historical facts of one who not only raised the dead, but who conquered death, through his own sacrifice. Beloved, there is never anyone like Jesus. The only question is, do you believe it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace and your goodness. Continue to pour out your grace in our lives. Lord Jesus, we worship you as our prophet, priest, and king, and savior we give you all of the glory and ask that you make these uh, scriptures present to our minds and hearts today that we may live for you by the power of your spirit in christ we pray amen we sing number 3